This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 19. You will be more incredibly valuable if you understand the business inside and out. I would say really influence your clients, internal clients, by coming up with new recommendations on how they can run their business differently, have their talent shine more, have a happier workforce. But you have to get out into the businesses, know the business inside and out. How can HR think more like the business leaders they support? How can thinking outside the box be a game changer for your career? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Lisa Buckingham. Lisa is a world-class HR executive and business leader. As the former chief people, place, and brand officer at Lincoln Financial Group, Lisa was responsible for all human resources practices and policies for the organization. She was also responsible for overseeing Lincoln Financial Group's brand and advertising, enterprise communications, consumer insights, and corporate social responsibility activities, as well as the facilities, aviation, and corporate strategic real estate areas. Over her career, Lisa has been widely recognized by the industry and her peers as a leader in our field. In 2018, she was elected a fellow of the National Academy of Human Resources, an honor considered the most prestigious in the field of HR. And in 2017, she was named HR Executive of the Year by HR Executive Magazine. It was a complete pleasure to sit down with Lisa and discuss her out-of-the-box approach to HR. And during our conversation, we discussed how owning functions outside of HR changed her approach to HR, why every CHRO should think of themselves as a chief talent officer, why mentoring early career talent is so important, her advice for next-gen leaders on how to stand out from the crowd, her secret to influencing the business and making an impact, and the importance of HR leaders making their wellness and health a priority and much, much more. Lisa, welcome to Future of HR podcast. How are you doing? Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm awesome. It's not snowing. It's not raining. It's perfect. It's a great day. Well, it's great to sit down and talk with you today. I want to ask you a first question. Thinking back on your journey to become a CHRO, what role did you learn the most from and why? Wonderful question. I would say to you, most of my Lion HR roles were really integral to me learning the business and understanding what our clients, internal clients needed. And I think that in those line jobs, you kind of have to do a little bit of everything. And the advent of COEs was game changing for me. And I did go into a talent COE at one point, but, you know, I stayed really inculcated on the line side. So it was really, you lived and died by the business. And I think the business partners really appreciated that HR mindset that you knew what they were really up to. And even getting down to writing job specs that you knew what they were dealing with while you were writing the job specs and just being that partner. So that was really, really important. Then the other piece I would say, JP, that was really important for my development, I never sat in a comp seat. 
But before I was on a developmental track at Thomson Reuters, it was Thomson at the time, and I was given a challenge to help redesign the LTIP program. And that was so out of my comfort zone, but it was so awesome because we were going out of phantom plans and we were doing this redesign. And my CHRO was an MBA, deep, deep finance, deep business partner. And he really just wanted to show me what I did actually know, number one. And number two, and that's how you really learn to work with outside pay advisory firms and designing something that makes sense to drive the business forward and engage and motivate people. So I think line business and really getting those functional practice areas, even if it's just a developmental assignment, it's really important. Yeah, that's great advice. And so you would suggest someone tries to get that HR business partner role, a generalist role. And you really, do you think you have to really have that to become a CHRO? Or can you go from a specialist role into the CHRO role? And, and what are you missing if you do that? Yeah. So, you know, if you if you go back into the 80s, you probably weren't even born yet. But if, if you go back into the 80s, you think about so many people were coming out of benefits and comp and what's now called total rewards. And they were the heads of HR. And totally, you know, different titles. Today we're talking chief people officers, same functional role. I think the roles are totally different today. But I think it depends upon the company. It depends upon the relationship with the CEO. It depends upon the relationship with finance, your board, and your shareholders. I would say specialisms are really important. Um, I think secondments in global spots are really important. If you're managing teams outside of the U.S., you better be going there as much as you can so you can understand the culture in the country and all the regs. But I really think you have to be very thoughtful about how you manage your career and don't get comfortable. And you'll probably hear that pretty consistently through our conversation today. If you're starting to get comfortable, it's time for a new challenge, hopefully within your company. But or make that move because you want to keep pushing yourself. And you obviously did that. And at Lincoln Financial Group, you were chief people, brand, and place officer, which I think is the first one I've ever heard of people, brand, and place, which means you had a responsibility for not only HR, but brand and corporate communications, mm-hmm. facilities, a lot of other functions were thrown in there. How did you end up being responsible for brand, corporate communications, and other functions? And how did that change your approach to HR, I guess? Yeah, oh my gosh, that I think made me a better people officer, by the way. I'll just tell you that. Well, first, I came in as the chief HR officer. That's when I came in, December of 08. We can remember the little financial crisis. We lost our, you know, probably 80% of our market cap at the time. Came in, we had massive layoffs going on, and we, uh, I had the most amazing CEO. So I, I worked for Dennis for almost 12 and a half years. So that says a lot about just our relationship and had other opportunities, but I did stay at Lincoln. And it's probably because I had increased responsibility over time. The marketing piece came in when we were working with McKinsey and we were trying to decide, do we want marketing to be centralized or decentralized? And obviously Lincoln Financial is an affiliated company. So you they have about 11,000 employees today, I, I think. I don't, you know, I'm assuming they're the same size as when I left. But then you have about 59,000, 60,000 affiliate financial planners. So you're really solving for a couple of different workforces. Hmm. But so we were trying to decide, do we have 
a centralized organization or do we go decentralized? And we worked with McKinsey and it was myself and a couple of the presidents of the businesses. And you'll hear this again a lot that you have to have that deep partnership because can't be led from corporate, in my opinion. I think you have to really know the business inside and out. We used McKinsey and worked with some amazing people. And we did focus groups. We talked to financial planners. We talked to career agents. We talked a lot to our employees. And obviously agencies, ad agencies, like everything. Like it was a full diagnostic. And of course, I was coming with a deep OD background. So I came in and I was asked to lead the project. So we lead the project. We decide we're going decentralized. And what we were going to keep at corporate was our sponsorships, which are huge in that business. So think Lincoln Financial Stadium, think golf tournaments, the Masters, things like that, that are client-driven. And then we had internal communications, PR. Investor relations has at Lincoln always sat with finance, but we built a new like priority of a partnership. So long, long story short, we're all sitting around. We make our recommendation to Dennis that we're going to decentralize and we're going to put those in the businesses. But this is how we'll, you know, be more productive from an organizational perspective. And we'll build a, a marketing council. And, and then I remember Dennis saying, well, who's going to be the corporate CMO? And everybody looked around. And then two of the presidents were like, Lisa's going to take it. And I was like, wait, wait, we didn't have this conversation before this meeting. So, so anyway, it really was one of those. But I will just say I was able to hire some of the best in the business and really learned a lot about marketing. And I'm going to answer your thin line question about how did that help in HR? It was really eye-opening to realize that we were working on so many things similarly in brand and we weren't talking to each other. So when we started talking to each other, we were building our brand from the inside out and we had a consistent message and it was just so cool. Then we built a data analytics group and data analytics in HR and data analytics in marketing. So we just got really pretty powerful with the information. And by the way, That was very helpful for me and our teams to go and provide useful information to the business units. So it wasn't just like throwing them a report. It was really we would customize it and say, this is what's working. This is what's not working. And from that perspective, JP, I'm going to tell you there was so much power to it. So then over time, the role turned into crisis management, health and safety, You mentioned facilities, which if you can think of what we can build up on this, aviation during the, you know, the advent of COVID, that just became a really, really big. So that I had three big jobs that all were like having very big key strategic issues at the time. And so it it was interesting. The title was actually People, Place and Brand. I've seen that tied now at two other places. I've seen it in, in a manufacturing organization. And one of my colleagues had that title. She's a PhD, Marsha Avedon. She's amazing. She just re- recently retired from train and then also at American Express. So it's, we were the first, we came out of the, you know, the barn with it and it really worked. It worked and it really makes you think total experience for the employee, total experience for the customer. And, you know, obviously you can't do this in a 
room with the door closed. Like you are an active partner and my internal colleagues were my customers as well as the employees. When I think about this, Lisa, for me, you're a really great example of a special HR leader that has that business focus that the organization is saying, let's give, you know, you've been so credible, let's give HR more. You know, let's give you place, facilities, and brand. So kudos to you for having that credibility and building that up over time to really be almost a line business leader as almost as much as a people HR leader, right? Yeah. Well, thank you. But it was really about building really effective communications with your colleagues across the organization and not foisting a strategy on people, like really building it up and saying, we've done our focus groups. The data says this, this is our recommendation. So really in a very partnered way. And I think that people need those partnerships. And, you know, we've all heard, and you're sitting in the CPO job now, so you get this. Everybody has an HR joke, right? So they're, oh, here comes HR. But what I really wanted to do was build relevance around, you know, I know the business. I, I could go into a line job. I love and am passionate about the people strategies because they are just as strategic as your pricing. They're just as strategic as your tech journey map strategy. The, these are really important things. And I, I see a CPO role, you should be the chief talent officer for the company, first and foremost. Even if there's a chief talent officer, the CPO needs to know more and more about the people and about the business needs. So you're really taking that business strategy and you're saying, wait a minute, I can't build my HR strategy without knowing each of your strategies because you would come out with a generic talent strategy if you don't go and really solve to what each of your business partners are trying to you know, do over the next three to five years. That's very true. And I want to get your reaction to this research. It's a little bit dated, but I think it's still a relevant question to ask. The Talent Strategy Group, which was led by Mark Efron, he put out a global census report in 2019. And in that, he found that only four out of 10 HR leaders want to be CHROs, and only one in 10 HR leaders want to be a CEO or business unit leader. I want to get your perspective. What do you think or why do you think so few HR leaders aspire to be CHROs or business leaders? Or do you disagree and think it's changing? I love Mark's work, by the way. And I did read that census report. I... Look, I think that that information might be 2019, but I bet if he went back, it's probably very similar because a lot of HR roles have been stretched even more. And I think that working in these hybrid environments or remote environments, you know, time stretched even further for people. So I would tell you with my team at Lincoln Financial and I had at times at Thompson, different global teams, there were people who were just really happy to be in a business unit. They really didn't want that board responsibility. They didn't want to have to work with finance on, you know, going and redesigning a comp plan or getting things approved. So, and statistically what I would say, I had probably two or three people that were just like, I want to be a career HR director, depending upon the title, it doesn't matter, but not a CHRO. And then there were people that were like, when are you retiring? Could you please go so I can have your job? <laughs> so it was a little bit 50-50, but I would say there was a slant on two of my teams that people were like, can't we just like keep it the way it is? Like you can go do all that board work and all of that, 
But, you know, JP, I think HR is probably one of the best disciplines in the world because now you're bringing in tons of data analytics. You're bringing in a new sense of what benefits looks like. So wellness and creating that deeper engagement and creating a more magical experience for organizations and employees and their families, ultimately. And from that perspective, I think that we can open up the aperture of what HR can look like. And going back, there there are awesome CEO candidates that get a rotational assignment in HR. And it is a really awakening experience when sometimes people are like, oh, that's why you make us do this? Or, ah, now it's all answering the performance management into the bonus plan, into the approvals at the board. And so these are things that I think the stakes are getting bigger and bigger in HR. And everybody needs to learn how to manage their time and hire really great people around them because you don't have to be a hero and do everything yourself. Yeah. Well, I think HR, you're right. It's a great time to be in HR and we're having more and more impact. And I think the bar is getting raised. But I also like that you're talking about business leaders coming into HR. And that's something we should see more of, right? To get a little bit of empathy, understand what we do. For a next-gen HR leader that says, gosh, I don't know if I aspire to be a CHRO. I'm not sure I want to do that. It looks really more, maybe tougher than I maybe want to, a bigger challenge than I want. What are they getting wrong about being a CHRO? What's the upside? Yeah, so so not in my DNA to not want to be really a leader in something. But I respect people. Really, I respect them for making those decisions on this is what I want to do. But what I would say is some of what they're missing If they're passionate about the talent agenda, if they're passionate about changing or being part of transforming a culture or looking at engagement in a different way to say, I can actually be really pivotal to the leadership team and bring this along and be the advocate for not only the employees, but also for the leadership team and the customers and end product. So I think to answer that, it's really, you have to have magic in the chemistry of the company you're working in. You have to, most HR people, I will tell you, they can sniff out organizations that actually don't believe in HR. So maybe that could answer some of your questions that if they don't feel that they're going to be part of the strategic conversation, we don't talk about getting a seat at the table anymore because I think that's way overused and done. But from my perspective, If you can't be a talent architect and an advocate, an evangelist to get the team, leadership team excited about what HR can do for an organization and be that face of the organization. But some people, you know, JP, I'm learning some people just are really comfortable in their swim lane and they'll stay there as long as they're good colleagues and they're open to looking around the corner for innovation in HR Because you and I both know, and many of your listeners know this, nothing is the same. Nothing will be the same next year. In the next five years, HR will be at an even different place. So these are the exciting times to say, let's all, like, there's so many amazing, there's so much content that we all can learn from. And I hope people are taking the time. But we also have to work on ourselves. Go and learn more about data analytics. Go learn more about finance. Like, I, I mean, I used Khan Academy like crazy in the beginning when I was a CHRO because you know, Black-Scholes valuations are not easy to understand. So you're going and you have to be able to talk to the board about things like that. So we all have to be on a personal journey. We, 
we coach our employees to be on personal journeys of development. We need to continue to develop. And man, yeah, you got to have fun. Have fun. We're going to talk a little bit later about how you're seeing the CHR role evolving and the capabilities. So I want to come back to a couple yeah. of the nuggets you left there for us. There's a lot of talk in the market around employee experience, employment brand. What is HR getting right and getting wrong about the concept of employer brand? It's from the minute somebody learns about your company. It's the minute somebody applies to a job, how their experience is all the way through the end of their career life cycle, right? And that could be, we can have the best employee brand campaigns And there's lots of agencies out there that will help you. But if they aren't inculcated in your organization and really understanding what's real, our employees will sniff that out. They want authentic branding. They want to be able to say, I'm a brand ambassador for my organization and I believe in what they're saying. And so what I worry about in your question is a little bit like in the experience piece, you know, there's still this. There's no right answer right now about hybrid, remote, you know, back in the office full time. It all depends upon the company and how leaders are doing that. But, you know, what I've seen really successful um, over the past year and a half as people are trying to get people to re-engage, to come back into offices or whatever the new world work is for that organization, because it can't be peanut butter. Not everybody's going to do the same thing. But you need to make sure that you're creating environments where people can collaborate, you can celebrate innovation, you can find times to walk down the hall, whether that's at a hotel, if it's in an office. I mean, a lot of companies got rid of many of their office buildings, right? So, you know, the footprint strategies have to be really strategic. And how do you get people to come back in and want to come back in? Um, you know, it, it really is, you know, you wonder about the development of individuals. Not everybody's a learner that learns online. Some people really dig being in a room full of other people and you're learning from one another and you're going back and forth. And, you know, that's probably my best way of learning, of being with people. And I, you know, have a whiteboard right here that, you know, when you want to really understand something, you whiteboard it, um, especially on the math side. So, you know, I think getting it right is it's not a linear statement. I think it's really knowing what people want. I think that some companies have to take a hard decision to say, look, we want everybody back in. And if that doesn't work for the employee, that they've already spent so much money to recruit and retain. I think that, you know, we, we, we've all done this differently. You know, we, we started working on our return to office the day we pivoted to remote for COVID. Right. Like we were already working on defining what jobs should always go back and what jobs should be hybrid or what should be full time in the office. So um, I just, JP, I would say you have to really know the personality of your organization and be that strong HR uh, executive that is going to really navigate a lot of opinions, but bring facts to the story. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I agree with you. Strategy. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you know. I think you're right. To create that strategy, whether you're remote, hybrid, in office, I, I kind of feel like we'll be talking about this in 15 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we haven't totally figured it out. But I think what you just laid out there is a recipe, saying you know what's the culture, what's the business strategy, what's going to work for the roles, people thinking broader around development, you know, connections. 
all of those elements have to come into play to figure that out. Yeah, JP, I think that there's two takeaways for me in this part of the conversation. The first is, I remember we were working on return to client before we were talking about return to office. And, you know, then you're really latching or hitching your wagon to another company's wagon because then you have to figure out what works for them. But to your point of the next 15 years, what I worry about is the mentorship and the, you know, for early talent that's coming in. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember first starting in a corporate job. Like my mentor taught me how to write a memo. They taught me what was appropriate in email. And now so many of our early talent, unless you know companies get super intentional about this, I worry that people are just going to just send texts to their bosses or their leaders or, you know, and these are, we're talking about HR. Like some of these things are so incredibly serious. It should not be done in text and should not be done even over email. And how do you create those one-on-one experiences to really onboard people into the new working world? I'm telling you, somebody's going to solve this and they're going to have New York Times bestseller books because it's there's a recipe here that will be very helpful, not just for HR, but for new leaders and leaders that I think if you want to be a manager today, A, it's a privilege, but B, you're going to work hard to make sure that you're onboarding people. And even in this world of, as we look at ourselves on Zoom or WebEx or, you know, whatever tool that we're using, how do you connect at a higher level? What advice, Lisa, would you have for Next Gen HR early career talent? You know, how would they go about developing themselves? What do you think they should be doing to maybe stand out? Because maybe if they're not sending text messages to their boss and they're writing <laughs> great emails, they're going to stand out and go farther faster. Yeah. But what's your point of view on that? Yeah, it's really important. I think that don't get lazy, like don't get comfortable, really look for the content that's out there that works for you. You know, Sherm has great stuff. HRPA has great stuff. You could name a thousand different places. We were talking about Mark Efron's information. Dave Ulrich, you have a whole list of names. You know, what I would tell early talent HR is be so intellectually curious and think through things. Don't get comfortable. Think of different avenues. Look around the corners because I promise you, if you become an advocate of just doing the same, it will be really, really boring. But be bold and go and talk to senior leaders and say, I have this idea or, you know, maybe this benefit that we're offering, isn't that awesome? But maybe I need to just go and talk to the head of Total Rewards and learn why they're doing it. And they may find out just about that hidden paycheck and how much benefits cost. But some of those benefits might not be what people want anymore. And maybe outside of the benefits organization might have an idea that could accelerate engagement and happier benefits. I just think being on a Never settle. Just be intellectually curious and be yourself like everybody else has taken, you know, be yourself. But being an HR, being a manager, it's really, really, really a privilege. So make sure that you're taking that really seriously because everybody, so many people are looking at you. So many. 
Absolutely. You know, I think in HR, it is a privilege and it's a difficult job, right? We don't get all the rewards sometimes that we want or the accolades, but we do get some of the blame. But the reality is we know we're having that impact. And I think if you want to be an HR leader, you're okay with being a little behind the scenes and helping other people be successful, have the organization be successful versus being about yourself. You know, JP, that's a really interesting statement. I totally agree. And there was a lawyer that I worked with years ago, and he said, I like being the backup band. And I loved that term because he was like, because we're all operating to get to the successful song, right? But yeah, it doesn't always have to be about us. This is really about getting the right answer for the organization and the bigger picture of the people strategy. And you know, at the end of the day, if clients are delighted or if you have a good product your your people are focused on and they're coming to work and fulfilled, you win. Like you get in your car or hang up your Zoom and you're like, wow, that was an awesome day. Like I helped somebody today. And I think that's a really important value in, in these roles. That's really what we're all about. I think in HR is having the business win and helping sure we've got the talent and capabilities to do that. doesn't mean we have to have our, our name up there and get the trophy. But yeah, you, one thing you talked about, Lisa, that I think is really interesting around where the CHR role is evolving and continues to evolve each year. For your perspective, what capabilities will define the chief people officers of the future? Oof. I think you have to be an amazing influencer. I think that you have to truly be able to advocate for the people agenda. And there, there's a lot to unpack underneath that statement, but really understanding the moving parts of assessment and getting bold from the standpoint of let's take risks on individuals. And again, from the new skill, I think you really have to be passionate about understanding the business, know how the money's made in the organization, how the, you know, obviously from a GNA perspective, the people spend is one of the largest in any organization. And, but you need to manage it like you're the CFO, right? Like, so I'm the CFO of HR in my last job. And I really advocated for, you know, what we were spending, how we were spending it. And I had to certainly answer to my CEO, my CFO and the board. And I think that you have to be super thoughtful and you have to be able to pull different levers at different times and make the hard decisions. But I was just interviewed today by a a national newspaper on layoffs. And they were asking me questions about, do you believe in the, you know, last in, first out? And for me, and I'm just going to keep advocating for this, like, I just think we in HR need to make sure that we're being innovative and that we're not getting comfortable and safe with the arcane processes. And we've spent so much time and energy on DE&I for years, me, decades, but I do think that there was a beautiful new focus on it. Um, and if you focus, just using this as an example, last one in, first one out, if you spend a ton of time on DE&I and then now you're eliminating all your, you know, your diverse workforce, well, that's dumb. So let's make sure that we're really focusing on, as you and I were talking earlier, what does the next three, five, 10 years look like? And I think HR executives really have to carry that. And it's not a burden. As I mentioned earlier, I think it's a privilege. It really should be seen as that way. 
Yeah, we've made a lot of progress and it sounds like you obviously are making sure we do not lose that progress. <laughs> and I'm curious about influence though, because you've been highly influential. You don't get to have more than HR in your career unless you are seen as a business leader and you obviously were a trusted advisor with your CEO at the Lincoln Financial Group. But talk to us more about what are the keys to success to having influence as an HR leader? Is there a recipe for it or... I think there is a recipe. And I'm just going to say, I was a CHRO at Thompson for a global, one of our global businesses. And the CEO there also really relied on HR. And I, and what I would say to answer that question, it's really, you'll be more incredibly valuable if you understand the business inside and out, I would say really influence your clients, internal clients, by coming up with new recommendations on how they can run their business differently, have their talent shine more, have a happier workforce. But you have to get out into the businesses, know the business inside and out. And I, my mentor, when I, you know, became the CHRO at Lincoln was Randy McDonald. He was the head of HR for IBM. And he said, if you're spending more than 25% of your time in your office in your first year, you're going to fail, like get out in the businesses. And he and I were so aligned on that because at Thompson, we were so business oriented. Nobody knew if you were in HR or line business, like they just didn't know. They just knew that you were influencing. So the last part of that answer, I think JP, that is important to me is effective communications to all your stakeholders and no surprises and, you know, good and bad news has to be received without drama and it needs to be really measured from the standpoint of what are the impacts to the organization or the people or whatever the situation is. And even if HR doesn't own or lead communications, that partnership is so incredibly important. The partnership with legal is important, and quite frankly, with every functional area, but and finance for sure. And if you're going to influence, you need to know your facts and be part of even conversations that have nothing to do with people, because guess what? It actually all impacts people. And you have to really be able to stay on that page from the standpoint of you just can't focus just on your day-to-day job, like get out there and know the business inside now. Lisa, being in HR is a very challenging job. It's a challenging job for CHROs. We have a lot of weight on our shoulders. We're typically, we're thinking about the organization and our team members more than ourselves. What advice do you have for CHROs in terms of taking care of themselves, taking care of their mental health and wellness? Yeah, I, I think the it's such an important piece of our entire life and the wellness and the self-care is super important. And what I subscribe to is sleep is a really important piece of this because I think if you're not rested, your mind cannot respond appropriately to really strategic issues or you're short with people. And we are at many times that guiding light that people are looking to see how we're responding in situations. So For me, I advocate everyone should be getting at least eight hours sleep. I think the advent of dinners are coming back and you really have to choose how many you'll do, how much time 
can you miss away from your family? And I would be really particular at that time. So number one, just self-care. And for me, I always, you know, my my magic is like 9.30, right? Like my get settled. I put my cell phone in my closet. Like I don't have it. I subscribe to a lot of what Ariana Huffington talks about. And, you know, studies show that we perform better when we have sleep. I get up without an alarm clock at five in the morning and from like five to five thirty, that's my time that I just really settle myself and I get up and I have a cup of coffee or drink water or, you know, whatever is really important to me at the time. And sunrises are really special for me. So I will find where the sun is going to rise. And I take that time to just, you know, ground myself because you know, we never know what our day looks like because we're supporting people agendas. So it's not like clockwork every single day. So I just think we all respond better with good amounts of sleep, exercise, and just having whatever pattern works for you. And I really think that's important. And we need to model that and make it okay. And it's self-care and mental well-being and just all things wellness should be part of our portfolio and how we operate and allow your teams to operate that way as well. No, that's great advice. People really do need to take the PTO, kind of have their own wellness routines. And so often we just put other people first and to our own detriment after time. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Look, there was a lot of people used to call in HR PTO pretend time off. And I would always say to my teams, let's not even joke about that. Let's be the role models and let's make sure that, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to pull a little bit more weight for somebody so they can go on holiday and or even just like take a half an afternoon off. You know, I mean, this is this is what energizes people. Then they're like, oh, I've got this. I can balance all of these things. And I don't know if balance is the right term. From my perspective, I use where you need to be. So there's some days you're going to lean more into work. And then there's other times you're going to lean more into a family obligation or something. And that time levels out. And my philosophy is where you need to be. So we are all, we're all over 18 and we have big jobs and we have choices. But making sure that you have that self-care and opening that to everyone. I just love some of the things that terrible COVID virus created was conversations around real positivity for all of us and really taking that step back going, wait a minute, are we doing all the right things for ourselves? Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be great at what we do, for sure. I love leaning into where you need to be. It's a really, really important message. Right. And sometimes it'll be more family, sometimes more professional. You know, and that's how hopefully you get work life balance slash slash harmony. I hate the word balance too, but it's about harmony. harmony. I like that. I like harmony. Yeah, I'm sure I stole from somebody, but that's I think that's kind of where you're hoping to be is like, hey, you never get it totally right, but hopefully you get some harmony and your family puts up with the work and you give them what they need at the right times. Yeah. For sure. I remember I had one leader who said, you're not allowed to put an out of office message on your emails. And so you promulgate that right through your teams. And you're just like, well, we can't do that. And my former CEO at Lincoln, Dennis, he just said, when you're on vacation, you're on vacation. 
you know, we'll call you if there's an emergency. But so that really permeated across the organization. And um, it wasn't always, again, leaning in. You couldn't always take all your time. But again, I think that there's some nuggets of really great things that we're all working harder on that finding that right harmony of that term. Yeah. I'm going to steal it. Feel free. I also think, you know, your point, if you're on vacation and you feel like the world's going to stop because your team can't handle it, you're looking at the wrong way. One, your team, it's an opportunity for them to grow and develop and say, even if you are the CHRO and you say, okay, I'm going to have a deputy because I'm going to be in Europe for three weeks, you're in charge. Let that team member have the opportunity to step into your role, right? Because very few things you have to make that decision on if you've got a great team. And that's our responsibility. You should always do that. And then they should be doing that with their teams and so on and try those shoes on for a couple of weeks. Sometimes that's when people go, hey, I don't really want this job, you know, <laughs> or wow, I really loved it. When are you retiring? But I, I'm a big believer in delegating and really giving people an opportunity to see the reality of our jobs as well. Sage advice. Thank you, Lisa. Last question for you. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Yeah. Look around the corners, leverage technology and ensure that you're kind and really, really kind to people and offer really great developmental opportunities and you will have people forever and they'll be high performance. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great insights. Great to hear your career story. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and I'm so excited for you and everything you're doing. So congratulations. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Lisa for sharing her insights and wisdom on what great HR looks like. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and please help us spread the word to other next-gen HR leaders like yourself. We'll be back next week with Larry McAllister, a three-time head of human resources, founder of the Corporate Humanist Consultancy, and author of The Power Transform. In our conversation, Larry and I will discuss his new book and how to build a human-centered, tech-enabled workforce that can transform both the business results and a company's culture. If you're driving culture change, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.